Welcome to another episode of Bloomberg Intelligence's Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Jonathan Palmer, and I'm a healthcare analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, the in-house research arm of Bloomberg. We're very excited to have Doug Hirsch, the co-founder and co-CEO of GoodRx, joining us here today. Doug is a serial entrepreneur. Prior to building GoodRx, he started Daily Strength, an online community of support groups that was acquired by ShareCare in 2010. Doug's roots in the tech industry are deep. He previously served as the vice president of product for Facebook in the 2000s and was an early employee of Yahoo. His latest venture, GoodRx, is a well-recognized brand in the more than $500 billion marketplace for prescription drugs, where he's created an innovative solution to help patients generate significant savings on their medicines. Thank you for joining us here today, Doug. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. So maybe why don't we start off with a high-level discussion of what GoodRx does and where you fit in the marketplace and and maybe what problem the company solves? Sure. I mean, a lot of GoodRx's uh, reason for being comes from an experience I had, which was back in 2010 when I walked into a pharmacy and the pharmacist said it would be $500 for a prescription. And because I'm naturally thrifty, I took it back and went to another pharmacy that said $250. Another pharmacy said $400. And I accidentally discovered that there was actually price variation in healthcare. And so what GoodRx really tries to do is make sense of the madness. You know, healthcare in this country is just bad and getting worse. And we see it in the outcomes. We see it in just the rising cost, the medical debt that consumers have. And our mission has and you know always will be to just try to fix this broken system so that people can find affordable care and better health outcomes. And so all of our decisions and all of our products are built around educating consumers, building transparency, and really just um, being on the consumer side when no one else is. So maybe taking a step back, how does the prescription drug market work for consumers? I mean, you and I are familiar. We sit in the healthcare ecosystem. I mean, most people think, you know, when they go to the their, their local pharmacy that, you know, their insurance is paying for it. But the complexity there is, is, is pretty uh, profound, if you will. And can you explain kind of where you fit into that ecosystem, maybe from the patient perspective, the PBM or or insurer perspective and, and how you kind of mitigate those challenges and, and competing forces. I always think of us as a marketplace. Um, we're, we're sort of like the Switzerland of healthcare, where we work with all the constituents, ultimately on behalf of the consumer. So we work with PBMs, those are pharmacy benefit managers, they provide insurance for drugs. We work with drug stores, retailers, both you know major chain pharmacies as well as grocery stores. We work with physicians, which many people don't realize. We provide incredible tools so that physicians can educate their patients so they can actually take the drugs. We work with drug manufacturers um, who really want to get in front of folks because there's often incredible ways to save. You know, they get a bad rap a lot for having these high-priced drugs, but there are really, really powerful ways to save that most consumers just don't know about. So we're really, again, in the education business and trying to take all these constituents, bring them together, and really just make it simple so the consumer can get that outcome. And it's been a really great ride, and I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we have great relationships really across the board. When you started the company, what was your thought about what you had to build, and what was the, the thesis? I guess, I don't know if you took outside money to, to start or just started building uh, GoodRx on your own, but what thesis were you trying to prove in those initial days, and, and how did that work? You know, how, did it, how did it work approaching some of the PBMs and pharmacies with, with your solution? What's funny is, you know, we really were just uh, uh, three guys that were just trying to unravel this. You know, there's a really interesting tech problem here, and that's what really drove us. My two co-founders are both de- uh, developers, engineers, and they were like, let's see if we can find this data. And the version of GoodRx we launched with was really scraped pricing from a bunch of different pharmacies who happen to have websites and taking advantage of uh, some state 
published prices that certain states had put up, most of which were wrong. And so really it was a quest for data, number one. And number two was a quest for translation of, as we just talked about, this this mess that is healthcare into something a consumer could digest. A lot of what we do at GoodRx is the stuff we don't show because there's so much noise and so many words. I think like 7% of consumers know what a deductible or a copay actually is. So we get rid of those words and we talk about things like coupons and retail prices, which are really just we're ripping those off from other industries. So um, our thesis really hasn't changed much. We've just expanded our mission. So where we were generic drugs, today we're generic and brand drugs. We now have telemedicine services. We have a subscription product. Uh, We have an incredible amount of healthcare information. We're one of the largest places consumers can go to read information and videos created by doctors and pharmacists. So we're just continuing to expand our impact in a way that Americans can frankly just understand. You know, if you think about that that data scraping to start, you know, at, at some point you started working with the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit manufacturers. Can you just talk a little bit about what was their incentive to work for you and, and how are they incentivized by by providing their pricing to GoodRx customers? It's really interesting because for many years we were terrified of all the constituents in healthcare because we figured they were so big they would just shut us down. Um, and so the first, say, three or four years of our company, we you know, there were existing agreements that we could latch onto. Like almost anybody can get access to these discounted prices that pharmacies have, not, not necessarily the ones we have today, but an early version of that. Um, and then I had this luck fortune of my college roommate happened to be the chief technology officer for CVS. And I called him up one day and I said, is it safe for us to talk to CVS? And he said, yeah, it's totally safe. Come on in. And that really kicked off for us um, much more uh, deep relationships with a lot of the both retailers as well as the PBMs. We also had some early PBMs who, who really reached out to us and wanted to work closely with us. Uh, for example, Med Impact, which is mm-hmm. a PBM down in uh, San Diego. But, you know, we just sort of slowly tiptoed into it. And fortunately, we had gotten enough uh, volume and enough, you know, market share that it became, we became a part of the conversation. You know, it wasn't a, a tiny fly, you know, on the edge of the table. We, we actually were driving volume. We were showing all the constituents that we can help improve their business. Were there any key learnings from those, those early conversations with the PAMs? Is there anything that you had an aha moment around that you maybe didn't know scraping the surface from what you were previously doing? I mean, it's so complex that I still don't pretend that I understand all the machinations and all the different, you know, uh, complexities of it. Um, I was fortunate that I I randomly met on vacation uh, a a guy who had actually been doing this previously, who brought this incredible wealth of knowledge to us, and he came to GoodRx and was one of our first employees. Um, You know, I think we've grown with the PBMs as the PBMs have grown as the share of prescriptions that are purchased outside of your insurance benefit has grown. Um, we have you know, been a leader in that space, to be honest. And, and again, I think the PBMs acknowledge that we are an important part of the ecosystem today uh, and that we're an important both revenue stream for them as well as way that consumers can ultimately access prescriptions. You know, um, one of the products that we've recently uh, launched is, uh, it's called, it's a bit of a mouthful, it's called Price Assure Powered by GoodRx. And what that is, is where GoodRx benefit is actually built right into your Express Scripts car. So uh, someone who has, you know, a company-sponsored insurance can get the better price of either the GoodRx price or their funded price without having to do anything. And that's exactly the kind of experience I've always wanted to build. You know, if we think about that that scenario, I believe Optum has kind of come up with their own version of it. Does it compare one-to-one with what you guys are doing with Express Scripts? Um, I'd say in theory they're similar. I think the pricing... um, 
is significantly uh, more attractive in the program that we've put together. Again, GoodRx is a marketplace that so we mm-hmm. have a variety of different PBMs, and we tend to drive better prices than one particular solution. Um, but uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm happy that this kind of solution is is going out there because it's going to drive better outcomes for consumers. Um, but I would say our, our program tends to drive pretty pretty fantastic pricing for the consumer. And if we think about you know the the gains for for both. Uh I think the gains are obvious for the the patient, you know, a lower cost. But for the actual plan sponsor and maybe the Express Scripts, you know, is the visibility into the the data one of the key attributes of of that relationship that now they are capturing uh, the spending, they know what people are taking, they're not going outside the ecosystem, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I I think it allows the... um it allows everyone to be more educated, right? It's it's not a great situation where a cons- you know, I have a he- visibility into half of a consumer's prescriptions. I mean, starting with just interactions, God forbid, and you know, a pharmacist knowing and and being a part of the same system, and and you know, just having the education and having it all in one place. Um, you know, one of the things GoodRx is working on right now uh, is more ways for a consumer to understand the medications that they have, so that they can then look for interactions and look for things like that. Um, and this is similar to that, right? Which is where if if the PBM can have access to the full basket and can see what a consumer is taking, first of all, it can apply toward their deductible, which is a great value for consumers. Um, and secondly, it can help the PBM to service the patient better. Um, and obviously, that's something we want to do, too. You, you mentioned uh, access to providers as well as, as part of the, the, I guess, the innovation that, that, that's kind of come into the, the company over the last couple of years or, or since your beginning. You know, I think most people think of it as a consumer product, but can you talk a little bit about what a provider sees and what you offer providers? Because sitting here, I, I, you know, I imagine that the discussion you're having with a doctor is very different than the one you're having with a patient. When we first launched GoodRx at a conference called Health 2.0 in San Francisco uh, back in 2011, um, we were voted, we won second place in this, uh, like of 20 startups that were doing this. And I was surprised that we got that far at the at that time our website was pretty pretty you know uh, amateur i guess um but the most important uh, outtake from that was that physicians absolutely loved what we were doing because physicians want patients to take the drugs they prescribe it's as simple as that and when patients are you know walk out of the doctor's office with these copay cards and deductibles and formulary exclusions and prior authorizations they don't take their drugs and so for us it's always been uh, our job is to help physicians do their job in an efficient way so for example we have a pro- product now called provider mode which is basically a different version of GoodRx that a provider can use so that they can very quickly look at pricing with the consumer with the patient in this case um, send them you know discount information give them more information maybe about um, copay cards or other discounts that are available but also quickly, you know, move on to the next patient so that they can be as efficient as possible. Um, so it's a great program. Over 400,000 uh, providers are now using this platform. Um, and we're going to continue to work to make the provider experience as efficient and positive so that they can help more patients. Of those 400,000 providers, I mean, does it skew primarily to primary care? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a wide variety uh, of providers, but I'd say, you know, primary care, derm you know, psych, um, categories where obviously both there's a, a fair amount of generic drugs, which has tremendous price variation, or brand drugs that, you know, can, still can be purchased, um, you know, with a copay at a relatively reasonable price. Um, so I'd say, yeah, most, a lot of primary care, a lot of the, uh, again, uh, generic heavy, I guess I'd say, categories. So that spurs a little bit of a line of thinking with me that around, you know, the, the latest kind of business that you guys have moved into, which is your pharma solutions has the pro- provider piece been the 
I guess, the critical mass that enabled you to go after that, that business? Yeah. So GoodRx, for most of our history, was really focused on generic drugs, which are 90% of the prescriptions that are taken in this country. Um, but we always knew that we had tremendous amounts of traffic coming in for brand, and we didn't have much to say to them. You know, if someone comes into GoodRx and sees that a drug is, has a list price of $1,200, well, that's not helpful for anyone. Nobody wants to pay $1,200 for a drug. Um, but we actually, for many, many years, have maintained the largest database of copay cards and patient assistance programs. And now, by working with the manufacturers directly, we can educate both patients and providers that there's these great options that are available to them. So today, we work with 19 of the top 20 uh, pharma manufacturers. Um, we have everything from, obviously, advertising and co-marketing campaigns to very integrated programs where a consumer can acquire a copay card from within the GoodRx experience. Um, we not just focus on awareness, but adherence as well and making sure consumers stay on therapy. Because the reality is, is despite those scary list prices, there are incredible ways for consumers to save, and we want to be there to provide that solution. And how do those engagements typically kick off? Is it is it you pitching those big pharmaceutical companies, or are they coming to you and saying, well, we've done something in therapeutic category uh, you know, X, and now we want to do it in Y? A lot of the innovation in our company has been responsive. You know, brands were calling us and saying, hey, like, you know, we see all of our traffic. We see you've got 10x the traffic on GoodRx than we have at drugname.com, right? And so, you know, for us, it was just a question of prioritization and, and focus. And we, we've now focused on this category. Today, it's actually beyond what you said. Uh, I was in a meeting recently with a manufacturer who has a drug coming out relatively soon. And we're actually, you know, working on the launch together so that they can educate consumers right out the gate that there are affordable solutions. And so we're really working together very closely with pharma at all aspects of, you know, the drug life cycle. Um, and it's exciting because if you have the trust of the consumer, which is what we have, you can actually build a really positive relationship and then maintain it. How do the the economics of that work? As an analyst, you know, I think it's pretty clear to me, you know, on a, on a prescription, you have unit economics. But on some of these campaigns that you're working with, with manufacturers, what does that look like from, a, from an economic perspective? There's a wide variety of ways that we work with folks. It really depends on what the manufacturer is trying to achieve. I mean, traditionally in the industry, it's, you know, impression-based and things like that, and we'll do that. But we much prefer to have an integrated experience where a patient can find, you know, a real solution and we can be a part of that solution. So um, I would say we've rapidly evolved from sort of the traditional, you know, low-hanging fruit kind of stuff to much more sophisticated experiences where not only are we, you know, helping a patient who comes to get our expert, even reaching out to patients and letting them know about savings opportunities, letting them know about education, right? Such as how do you take a drug or um, did you know these facts about a drug? Um, so we'll continue to go pretty far down the road with the with manufacturers, again, throughout the life cycle and whatever really they want to achieve. Is there a typical set of KPIs in that business that, that manufacturers are looking at? I don't know if it's impressions or... Or, or what it might be, but what's typically the, the measure of success on, on those campaigns? Uh, to, to not make it sound too simple, obviously, they're looking ultimately at scripts that are written. Um, you know, we are very much a mission-driven company, so we want to make sure we're providing, you know, incentives when it's appropriate, right? Um, so, but I think, in, you know, this is an industry, as you probably know, where things can be tracked pretty closely. Um, and I think the manufacturers ultimately are just looking for either market share or number of new scripts or people staying on scripts, um, you know, and, and we're happy to work with them to achieve their goals as long as, of course, it achieves our goal, which is just to help the consumer, you know, get the outcome they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Maybe just as we think about, you know, that, that consumer piece, you know, there's other companies similar to GoodRx out there. I don't think anybody's even close to the level of success you've had. You know, as, I, as an analyst, and I think about 
you know, what are the competitive dynamics in this marketplace? How would you describe your, your I guess, competitive moat? Yeah, there's, it's been an interesting last few years for us because I think there's been a number of misconceptions about who our competition really is. I still believe, God, 13 years after I started doing this, that our competition is people who don't know any better, people who show up to the pharmacy counter without the knowledge and without the transparency and without the information and just hand over their insurance card. And if a drug is $80 or $800, it just is. They don't take any action. They don't have the tool set. So that remains the biggest category for us and the biggest, you know, uh, I'd say opportunity of increasing our TAM. Um, I think that, um, you know, there are competitors that come up. There's lots of splashy celebrities and there's companies, large companies that are integrating, are trying new things. And, and that's great. You know, like, for example, mail order. Sure, there's all sorts of companies trying to do innovative things, either in a subscription-based product or just a cash pay. That's great. In many cases, we work with them. We also offer a mail order solution ourselves. Mail is really, really hard. So assuming that, you know, just because, you know, a, a company managed to succeed in one category, it doesn't mean they're going to succeed in mail order pharmacy. Um, and so I think there's just been a lot of misconceptions. I should also point out that we're a marketplace, right? So everyone loves to run around and say, well, your prices are, you know, 2% higher or lower than this. First of all, our pricing is incredible. And generally speaking, any of these competitors, someone brings up our pricing's better. But also because we're a marketplace, very often we have those prices. You know, we're trying to be that trusted source where you can choose whichever outcome you want, but we're giving you that education and providing a whole host of ways you can um, ultimately get your prescription. It's interesting you say that because some of the work I've done and then, you know, going in and looking at your prices versus competitors, I mean, not on every every drug and, you know, in every market, but more often than not, you guys come out on top. You know, when I think about your your brand, I feel like that's also a huge advantage. I think we've done some survey work where, you know, relative to your peers, you know, the recognition of the GoodRx brand is, is far, far higher. Do you feel like that's working in your favor as well? It's my most one of the most things I'm most proud of, honestly, um, you know, it's been 13 years of us doing this. I think we have a first mover advantage. We have like a 90 NPS with both patients as well as providers. Um, and it's, it's something I, I am so proud of and something that, you know, when I look back on my achievements here, the fact that we've built this trust with consumers, the fact that we've, um, you know, managed to provide a service that they feel is beneficial in an area where traditionally they don't really like a lot of the providers. They don't like, you know, in, in, interacting with the healthcare system. Um, I, I love being that, that patient advocate. In fact, we actually have people, we don't call it customer care in our business. We call it patient advocates because all of us are patient advocates. And to see that reflected in, in the loyalty that we have and the brand recognition and the referrals we get, again, from both physicians and um, as well as from patients, it's just the best thing ever. No, it's pretty powerful. Something you said uh, about the various competitors coming into the marketplace sparked a, a thought for me. And, you know, we've seen Amazon enter, you know, Mark Cuban, um, you know, but more broadly thinking about the generic marketplace, because as you said, it's 90% of scripts. I mean, if there was transparency in the generic drug market uh, or parity, if you will, um, across, you know, most pharmacies, what what would happen to your your business? I mean, is, is that a structural risk in the long term? I mean, I'm of the view that we're not necessarily going to be transparent <laughs> anytime soon, but I think in an ideal world, that's what we're all working for. I think it'd be great if uh, healthcare worked like every other industry in 
the world where, you know, there was a cost of goods and then there was a markup. And if you went to like a wholesaler or something, you could get a lower a warehouse, you could get a lower price. Or if you went to that fancy retail store, you'd pay more. Um, those are dynamics consumers are used to. But as you know, healthcare is restricted in so many ways by the very complicated relationships and contracts that, um, you know, we're just not there yet. You know, we are a company very much founded on transparency. I would love there to be more transparency. I would love consumers to have more control. We're part of uh, legislative alliances. You know, we're pushing for it. We actually work with on many bills uh, where we provide data and information on what consumers are paying out of pocket. I'm encouraged by some of the chatter I hear, but it's very early. So um, I, I'm not worried about our company's future because I feel like we're on the same side as where consumers want to go. I think, unfortunately, we have both a very inefficient industry, a very opaque industry, and um, we're going to be around for a long time, you know, trying to help consumers. You know, you mentioned uh, legislative processes, and, and I think, you know, we're back in a period where there's saber rattling on, on the hill around PBMs. You know, if if there were legislation that was come to pass that, that severely impacted the way they do business, do you see that as a risk to, to your model? Um, we've been doing GoodRx again for about 13 years. Um, I've been told pretty much on the clock about once a year that finally, you know, our government's going to figure out this mess. Um, whether it be before the ACA, which is actually when GoodRx was founded, uh, whether it be both Trump and Hillary saying they were going to allow the government to negotiate, whether it be the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act that just came out, whether it be the saber rattling, like you said. Um, you know, I think that the entrenched way that we do business is pretty strong. I think that, um, you know, this is this is a very hard uh, sort of uh, infrastructure to dislodge. Um, again, we're on the side of ultimately being pro-consumer, and we support legislation that would do that. Um, I have not seen anything. We're not aware of any uh, legislation either on the table or, or stuff that's been passed that would have a material impact on our business. However, um, you know, uh, obviously I'd support something that would be pro-consumer. Uh, we just don't see anything that has a real chance of seeing the light of day out there. That's interesting. I mean, I think we, we see this come up in the market every couple of years, and, and I have the same experience as you. There's a lot of headlines, but not much comes to pass, unfortunately. You know, maybe just switching gears again to, you know, our discussion about uh, the brand. Can you talk a little bit about one of the bigger challenges the company has faced, the issue with one of your grocery partners? Sure. Um, I think, obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud of our brand and, and that recognition we talked about. I think the last few years have been challenging for us. Um, you know, we there was one retailer that we had a disruption with, which, um, you know, represented a, a reasonable chunk of our uh, prescription volume because they had really incredible pricing. I think that was unsustainable for them, and so they were looking at new ways to do it. I'm proud to say we are working with them again, um, but it caused some disruption when they they sort of pulled the ripcord on, uh, you know, on, on discount cards and were not accepting a, a huge batch of them, which um, obviously caused disruption for a consumer and caused disruption for our business. But, you know, um, again, we we really try to work very closely with all the constituents, as I mentioned. Uh, we are working with them again. We are. Um, uh, you know, we, I should also mention we've recently added Sam's Club to the GoodRx mm-hmm. um, uh, business so that you can actually find incredible discounts. And uh, we also added uh, Giant Eagle, which is a regional pharmacy to GoodRx Gold. And so we'll continue to reach out and make sure that we're working in an appropriate way uh, with both pharmacies and PBMs. One of the things that's different now from a few years ago is we have sort of a hybrid contracting mode where we'll both contract with the PBM, but we'll also contract directly with the retailer if there's a situation where they're like, this is not sustainable for us. We need to uh, we, we need to work directly with you on this because this PBM contract is not working for this particular set of mm-hmm. drugs. 
you know, can we talk about your telehealth business in a little bit more depth? You know, I thought on the strength of your brand and how well-known it is among consumers and patients that that actually would be a bigger part of your business today. Can you talk a little bit about the the learnings that you've had in that business and, and why, maybe why it's been a little bit more difficult to scale? I've been fascinated by uh, telehealth and obviously using technology uh, to, especially during the pandemic, of course, um, to help consumers see physicians and get better access and obviously lower cost as well. Um, it's a really, really hard market. It's pretty incredible how often um, consumers just don't really feel comfortable using uh, telemedicine. I think in certain categories, it's amazing, like mental health, for example. But a, a funny anecdote, one of my close friends is a primary care doctor, and she says she'll do telehealth sessions with folks. And at the end of every session, they'll, you know, she'll be like, well, that was okay here, you know, we're done. And they'll be like, that's great. So when can I see you? And she's like, but that was the visit, right? Um, so I think it's really hard for consumers to understand. Obviously, there are specific use cases you're probably familiar with for certain types of drugs or obviously cosmetic stuff or, again, mental health. Um, but I think we have a ways to go before telemedicine, you know, uh, really has plays that dominant role. And we're continuing to iterate on it. We want to be there and provide that solution for consumers. But um, it remains challenging to educate consumers that there's a better way. You know, if we think about your journey over the last uh, 10 plus years, you know, how has that contracting changed? Because I think, you know, I, I'll just say very frankly, in doing research on GoodRx, you know, I, I remember reading stuff from pharmacist uh, web pages where, you know, they weren't that keen on GoodRx. And I've seen that tenor change over time. Um, could you just talk maybe a little bit about, about the different pharmacies or customers that you're working with, whether it's the, you know, the, the ones that we all think about, the CVS or Walgreens to, you know, grocers to the mom and pop or, or regional pharmacies. How, how has that model changed over time? Uh, I would say today we have a very tight relationship with, you know, the largest pharmacies down to the regional chains where we're speaking on almost a weekly basis. And we're working to resolve any issues that we have and we're working on new programs and new ways to drive more business to their stores. I think uh, in the earlier days of GoodRx, there was a lot of confusion about uh, smaller pharmacies who had issues with PBMs, and they sort of used GoodRx as a euphemism for a PBM. Mm -hmm. And I understand that if you're a small pharmacy, it can be really, really challenging to um, you know, maintain profitability and also at the same time you know, work with the major PBMs. Um, and so they would kind of yell at us as, as, as if we were a PBM, which you know, we're not. Um, and so... Um, we, again, try to work with everyone. You know, usually when someone comes at me and says, hey, I'm really, you know, mad at good or exo or something, I'm like, well, let us list your pharmacy. Let us put you up on our network. If you have great cash pricing, great. Send it over. Um, we really want to work with everyone. We want to be the good guys in the space, and we uh, are, are constantly focused on that. It can be challenging, of course, when you're trying to keep everyone happy and they have conflicting wants. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at the span of history, um, generally we've been really successful working with everybody and keeping everybody generally happy. That leads me to my next, next question, which is, you know, where are you spending the majority of your time today? And, you know, when I think about companies with dual CEOs, I'm always curious how they split responsibilities. And, and I'll be honest, more often than not as an analyst, I, I don't see it working for this long. So, so you guys have done a really good job of, of, of keeping, uh, keeping the dream alive of the dual CEO structure here. Where, where do you spend your time and where does Trevor spend his time? I, I wish he was here with me because you could see how absolutely different we are. Um, I am a product person. I am very much a interact with consumers, interact with the world person. Trevor is squarely focused on our business, on business development, on HR, on running the business. 
Um, we have opposite interests. You know, you mush the two of us together, you get you get hopefully a, a really highly qualified whole. Um, my passion and the thing I'm most excited about right now is building new products. And finally, you know, even though we've been in business for 12 years, I'm actually deeply involved in new product development, which I'm really excited about. We have some amazing stuff coming out this year. Um, Trevor is laser focused on the business and our profitability and this expansion into brand drugs that we're doing um, and this incredible new work we're doing with, you know, the PBMs. Um, and so honestly, it's it's great. I, I don't I, I, I show up at work every day happier when he's sitting next to me. We share an office and I just think he's the smartest person on the planet. So having that by my side is, is an honor. That's great. You know, maybe this is a question for Trevor, but I'll ask you anyway. You know, how do you think about that balance between investing in innovation and profitability? And, you know, just for, for those who might not be familiar with the GoodRx story, you know, there's been some margin compression over the last couple of years, but things look now that now that you're past the grocer issue that you're turning the corner there. How do you think about that trade-off? And, and I guess, where are some of the bigger levers for you to pull to improve profitability. I mean, you're very profitable, to be honest with you, <laughs> in the space already. I think um, it's a delicate balance, right? And and uh, you'd probably hear that from any uh, CEO. Um, I would say the difference now that we, you know, I'd say over the last year is that we've really started to double down on key important initiatives, and we are betting hard on really, really exciting things, some of which I mentioned today. Um, but we are also focused on maintaining that incredible profitability um, and and maintaining, um, you know, the, the, the track record that Wall Street would expect of us. Um, and so, you know, we have this incredible core business. Um, it's growing. It's, you know, strong. Um, but we are going to make strategic bets when it makes sense to make sure that we are prepared for the future. And again, that's what I'm focused on, and I'm really excited about it. You know, you recently did an acquisition. Is that one of those strategic bets? And can maybe you just talk about that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, we acquired a company called Vitacare. I think that may be the one you're referring to. That's right. We've acquired a few companies <laughs> over our company's history. Um, what's really exciting about Vitacare is they provide a really amazing solution for, uh, they work directly with manufacturers to help ensure that consumers can get access to the brand drugs. And in that case, the drug is prescribed to Vitacare. Vitacare works through the prior authorization and some of that ugly process that a patient has to go to and ultimately can help the consumer, you know, get their drug, whether it be uh, via mail order or even via retail pharmacy. And we think that's really exciting where you can work directly with a, you know, a brand manufacturer. The drug can be prescribed directly to GoodRx. And then we can, you know, it's one thing to sort of provide a discount card when you're sort of standing on the mm -hmm. sidelines. It's another when you're actually involved, you actually have possession of the prescription. You can actually talk to the consumer, find that affordable solution with them in conjunction with the manufacturer who wants them to afford it. So we think it's just, you know, and it's to some extent, it's the ultimate GoodRx, right? Which is, which is um, you know, you have full control of the prescription, you have full control of the patient experience. So we're, we're really excited about it. And then is there a, a therapeutic category that's their bread and butter there? And, and, or is the model spread across just about anything I could think of from a therapeutic perspective? I think there's a number of categories where it's applicable. I also think that, you know, what you see today is not necessarily what it mm -hmm. will be in the future. Obviously, we acquired the company to to expand it and grow it and find new opportunities. So um, you can just, you know, it, 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 you can imagine what an opportunity it, it puts out there for us um, for a, a wide swath of categories where we're doing innovative things. I should also mention, you know, the kinds of innovation we're doing. Like we're, walking, we're working directly with Dexcom right now where we're knocking 200 bucks off the, off the cost of diabetes supplies. Not even a drug, working directly with the manufacturer. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we're doing these days where, again, it's not just GoodRx showing a PBM price. It's GoodRx playing a much more important role with either the manufacturer, the pharmacy, or being the pharmacy of record 
um, it's pretty exciting. That's interesting because if I think about some of those medical devices now going through the pharmacy channel, there it seems like there might be other opportunities there. Is this just a, a test case and, and you think you'll build it out over time? Well, we work with 19 of the top 20 drug manufacturers already, and we keep increasing our book of business and the number of drugs we serve. So, um, and that's obviously just uh, on the drug side. On the med device side, I think there's lots of opportunities too. Again, I, I know this sounds somewhat simplistic, but we are we are the consumer. We're the voice of the consumer. We're the trusted advocate of the consumer. And so, you know, not just uh, you know prescription you know drug manufacturers want, but med device manufacturers want to get in front of people too. What I'm really excited about is there's more and more discussion about just going with a cash pay price, right? Where certain for certain drugs it makes sense or for certain medical devices where they're just saying, you know, there's the normal way where you go through your insurance, but maybe we can just come up with an affordable cash price that a consumer, you know, can pay. Um, and that's kind of exciting because it just makes a simpler transaction. And that's not going to take over the whole industry by any stretch, but I think for certain products it might make sense. That, that's fascinating. And thinking about your work around brands, you know, one of the discussions I have with uh, people in the investment community is around the, the growth of the specialty market and specialty drugs. And, and how do you think about the specialty channel vis-a-vis GoodRx? Um, I think specialty is going to be one of the later channels for us to solve, only because, obviously, they're incredibly expensive drugs. They often are administered in hospitals. Um, they have you know a whole process, and usually uh, PBM has a dedicated specialty mm-hmm. pharmacy. You, of course, know all this stuff. Um, so it's an area we're very interested in. I think we'll work our way up the chain to that, um, meaning, obviously, we started with generics. We're moving into brand. We'll continue to move up the chain, I'd say, in, sort of in, ter- in terms of maybe retail price mm-hmm. um, and complexity. Uh, but eventually, I think we can service that because if we have a patient's entire you know list of prescriptions, you know, specialty obviously could be one of those. And I think when you when you sort of run their whole medicine cabinet, you can imagine, even if we're not necessarily negotiating a price there, but we're helping a consumer stay on that therapy or helping a manufacturer stay in touch with a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we will play a role there. I'd say it's a little farther out, but yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about you know the the there's been a watershed moment with biosimilar Humira this year, which does actually go through the pharmacy benefit as opposed to the medical side. I mean, do you see biosimilars being part of that conversation in the future? Because I think about that generic model uh, that you've been so successful with. You know, I, I don't want to say that biosimilars are going to be the same because they're obviously very different in terms of their administration and complexity. But it seems like there might also be an opportunity there. A hundred percent. You know, again, we, we, I stand, one of the things you hopefully are hearing from me today is I, I always think from the consumer perspective and the consumer doesn't understand any of the stuff we're talking about today. They just need to get the drug that their doctor prescribed. And so we are going to be there to help them navigate that, those waters when, you know, drug X is on therapy and drug X is not, and they're not interchangeable. Um, it gets really complicated for consumers. Um, and we just want to guide them through it and help them come out to come to the outcome that they want. You know, if your drug wants you on a drug that's not on your PBM's formulary, what do you do? So let us help you work through that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all sorts of ways. Obviously, the manufacturer wants you to take that drug. Let us show the consumer all the options, and then they can make an educated decision. I'd love to get your perspective. You know, we've, we've been talking a lot about pharmacy market, but I think there's a corollary here with primary care and, and where technology plays uh, in, in that market as well. And we've seen a lot of bigger transactions, M&A transactions in that space. And just as somebody who's, you know, in the conversation, what's your perspective of what's happening in the primary care market? And, and, you know, I I had Glenn Tolman on uh, the podcast recently, and he talked about what TransCarent is doing with GoodRx. And I think there's new models kind of afoot in in the world of primary care. Do you see your role or or your um, engagement with primary care just rising as, as some of these new new models come to the fore? 
It is. I mean, obviously, we have GoodRx Care, which is our telemedicine solution. I happen to think primary care is on the cusp of a major revolution, as it sounds like you do as well. And obviously, companies are betting big on it. Um, the major pharmacy chains, of course, offer many primary care services, so we're working with them on that. Um, but I think that primary care needs to get fixed in this country. There's too many uh, consumers of, or patients who don't have a primary care doctor. Access remains super challenging. Outcomes are not what they need to be. I, I, I will do the mandatory mention on this podcast of using AI and ChatGPT and those services to help make a more efficient experience mm-hmm. for patients. Um, I think there's lots of opportunities for us to automate things or to use sensors and monitors. Uh, and I'm hearing lots of really interesting rumblings where, you know, there's only so many primary care physicians in the world. How can we streamline so that they can service more patients in a more responsible way? I mean, the dream that I have, which, you know, I hope some of these companies are pursuing and I'd love to pursue at some point is, you know, where, where, you know, the physician's coming to you versus you going to the physician, right? Saying, hey, I've, I've seen your heart rate elevated the last mm-hmm. four days, or you haven't been walking like you usually do, or a certain level is not what it needs to be. And, you know, we're using software and we're using intermediaries before the physician gets involved. But wouldn't it be great if we had a, you know, an outbound primary care system where the patient was being approached by the doctor? That'd be the best. Well, I think I think you just gave me the idea for your your next uh, your next company there. Uh, we'll see if if that ever comes to fruition. You know, I wanted to wrap up the conversation. I, I like to ask my guests about the best advice they've received in their life, and and really both on the personal side and and the business side. You know, what's some of the best advice you've gotten in your career? And then conversely, you know, what's something that resonates with you in in your personal life? I've had a number of uh, great mentors. I've had a number of really interesting experiences. You know, I worked for Mark Zuckerberg when he was 19, and I learned a ton from him. I've also learned from, uh, you know, seasoned executives when I was at Yahoo. Um, You know, one thing I do, it's not necessarily like a professional career advice, but it's something I find very motivating. Um, There's the Viktor Frankl book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I try to read every three to five years. And it just sort of reminds me that, you know, even when, like, we've had a relatively rough last few years with our stock price and things, but to sort of step back from the situation and say, okay, but I can change myself and I can change, you know, what we're doing here. Um, And, and, you know, the situation may be thrust upon us, but we have the skill set and I have the power to really to, to change, right? And and I think that's important because especially 13 years into this, you know, there are times where you're like, I've been doing this for so long and, you know, to remember why I'm doing this and to remember that I have the control over it, uh, I find really motivational. And when I'm when I'm not feeling it, I can just pull that book out. It's pretty short and uh, and bang it out. So that's uh, that's something that I use. So that's, that's on the personal side and the business side. Yeah. That's great. Well, I think we're going to wrap up here, Doug. So thank you so much for joining us. This is Doug Hirsch, CEO and founder of GoodRx. Thank you. Thank you.